I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 14. Romans chapter 14. You know, as well as I do, that we have opinions about everything. We have opinions about pretty much everything. The question is, how do we share or hold our opinion or our conviction next to a person who disagrees with us? We may have an opinion, but how do we handle our opinion is the question at hand this morning. Romans chapter 14. just want to look at the first few verses and, and uh, zoom in on one phrase for us this morning. But uh, Romans 14, I'm going to read from verses 1 to 4. Let's hear God's word together. As for the one who is weak in the faith, welcome him. But do not quarrel over opinions. One person believes that he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. Not that the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. For God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld. For the Lord is able to make him stand." I want to take a look this morning at the single phrase found at the beginning of verse 1. Do not quarrel over opinions. This verse is at first in this chapter being addressed to one of these two characters in Romans chapter 14. This is addressed to the person who's described as the one strong in the faith. The one who feels free to live in their Christian liberty, their Christian freedom. In light of the gospel and their understanding of it, they recognize the boundaries that are set by the Old Testament law, the boundaries that are set by uh, mankind, are not what determine if God loves them more or less. They know that. They believe that to be true. These are the strong in faith who are loved completely and fully by God, and they know it, and that he loves them solely based on their being in relationship with with the Lord Jesus Christ. And because of their faith and security is based upon what Jesus has already accomplished, they embrace the freedom that they have from the law. While, of course, these people also need to be very aware of the the boundaries they need to set on themselves because they can easily slide off into licentiousness or, or... living a life with a license to sin because they know the grace of God. It is true. The grace is abounding and it is flowing evermore. And so the temptation is, well, then does it really matter how I live? So these, the strong, have something they need to guard against, but their security and their faith and their foundation is on Christ and his work alone that is finished at the cross. And so they're living free in their uh, freedom from the law and their freedom from feeling like they need to abstain from certain foods. They don't. They, they think, I can eat whatever I want. As remember, you know, the, that sheet came down before Peter and said, take, eat. And he, being one who wanted to abstain, said, no, I can't eat this or that or do these things. And the Lord told him, no, it's all clean. And so... Uh, These are the ones who, because they trust alone in the merit of Jesus and not in what they are doing, uh, they are free to abstain. You see that in verse 2, the one who believes they may eat anything. 
They are also the one who is not convicted about festivals and days as a means to be in God's favor. You see that in verse 5. One person esteems one day better than another, while another person esteems all days alike. That's this person. That's the one who is strong in the faith, relying solely on Jesus and what he has done alone for their merit before God. So verse 1 begins addressing them. And so it says, So you who embrace your freedom in Christ, you who are convinced that you don't need to abstain from X, Y, or Z for God to love you or approve you, you guys, when you meet a Christian or fellow brother or sister in Christ who may, uh, is, is more conservatively convicted than you, who may even be in your mind a little bit trapped in a really unhelpful thing, when you come to them and you meet with them, it says that you are to welcome them and with them you are not to quarrel over opinions. NASB says you are uh, meeting with them not for the purpose of passing judgment on his opinions. Or the Christian Standard Bible says don't argue about disputed matters. Things in church like drums or no drums, jeans or no jeans, wine or grape juice, things that are disputable. Don't break yourself up in a, in a relationship because of these things. The exhortation here is not to quarrel. So as responsible Bible readers and as those with a desire to want to uh, listen to and obey our great God, we dig to find out more about this heart of quarreling. The idea of quarreling is uh, the concept of arguing, or it, it includes passing judgment, making a division or a decision on who's right and who's wrong, and with that, fighting. Because I'm right and you are wrong and I'm going to fight you about it. But we have to think about these quarrels and what causes them. Listen to James 4, verse 1. It says, what causes quarrels and fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? Your passions, your flesh, your desires, ultimately, what causes quarrels is selfishness. The reason you fight at all with anyone is because you're selfish. And you can't just let it slide. And you can't just let it go, especially, and specifically in our example, over disputable matters. Things that we are free to have opinions on. Things that there are facts on both sides of the story. And there, are, um, there is backup on both sides of the stories even. What, what causes these quarrels if you're to fight and, and divide over them? Selfishness. I want what I want. And you know that two people wanting what they want are going to get in a quarrel, a fight, a war of wills. People get in fights all the time, you know. Kids fight over toys. The boys fight over the girls. Candidates fight over jobs. Spouses fight over spending. Christians over opinions, convictions, and preferences. And that's a really important word. Because what the text is addressing here, and most often what people fight over within the Christian church, there was a problem here in the Church of Rome, was preference. Uh, you know, you might have an opinion on something. You might think that this is the way things should go in church or in Christian life. But it comes down to that's just the way you like it. It's the way you like it. It's the way it's always been done. You just prefer it that way. Right? And so 
you just prefer not to have drums or you prefer people get all dressed up fancy or you prefer X, Y, or Z. It's a preference. And when we have preferences, that's okay. But we're never to bind our preference on someone else and say, if you do not form and mold to my preference and you don't do things my way, we're going to fight, we're going to split. Doesn't that sound so selfish? If I don't get my way, I'm going to fight you about it. It just sounds immature. So quarrels are caused out of our selfishness over preferences, but also over people. You know, some, you know the way you were raised, well, why do you say that? Or why do you believe that? Well, because that's what my parents said, or that's what my parents taught me. Or, or a pastor I loved and respected taught me that. Yeah, but why do you believe it? Do you believe it? Do you know that God has said that? And is it clear to you? Well, this is who I grew up under. and He always said, he always said, if that's the case, that's okay to love and respect somebody, an author, a pastor, a a trusted friend, to to look to them and say, "I, I trust their opinion. They are far wiser than I am. They're far wiser than you are. So I trust them. But... That's okay to hold that position based on a person, but it's not okay to bind that on another person. It's not okay to take sides of of people and say, well, this is what I believe, and I think you ought to believe it because John Piper said so or because whoever said so. This problem was not just evident in the church at Rome. It was evident in the church in Corinth as well. Right off the hop, right out of the gate, this is one of the first things Paul talks about to the church at Corinth. He greets them, and then right away he gets in. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10 says this, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and of the same judgment. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each of you says, well, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you, or were you baptized in the name of Paul? He says, don't fight over your preference or your people. They are not the ones who died for you because what is of utmost importance is Christ. Paul says later in the same book that those who are trying to take sides about these things, about, well, that's just you know, what my, my dad taught me or that's, that's the way it is because that's how I grew up that way. Paul says those who try to take sides and, and cause splits or divisions or arguments in a church over this thing, he says they do it out of a place of spiritual immaturity. And acting in accordance with the flesh, sinfulness, selfishness. You see that in 1 Corinthians 3. Paul says it's about immaturity when you want to have your preference, your way, and you want to enforce that on other people. But more than just the problem of quarreling over preference in persons and how my preferences are different and my people and influences are different too than than yours or the person next to you is... We have to think about the damage done by quarreling. What is the harm done in in a little uh, friendly argument or even an argument that splits us and whatever? What's What's the big problem? Well, first off, it misrepresents Christ. And secondly, it robs Christ of glory. 
The damage done by quarreling is misrepresenting Jesus and robbing him of glory. Jesus' prayer in John 17. I want to read a few um, selections from it so you can hear Jesus' heart for his people. Here's in John chapter 17, verses 10 and 11. This is Jesus praying. All mine are, praying to the Father, all mine are yours, and yours are mine. And I am glorified in them. I'm no longer the world, but they are of the world. And I'm coming to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. And then down in verse 21, that they may also be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I am in you, that they may also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Verse 23 says, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you have loved me. It robs him of glory and it misrepresents him. He said there in verse 10 that I read, he says, I am glorified in them. Well, he's not going to be glorified in us if we are divided or if we are just preferring what we prefer rather than preferring Christ above all. Even at the cost of our preference, we prefer unity in Christ because unity in the body of Christ represents him well. Because he said there at the end of verse 11, he he was praying that that the church, that we would be one just as in the same way that that the Father and Jesus, the Son, are one. They have the same mind. They have the same will, the same desires. And they are one. They are one God. And he said that also in in verse 21, that, that they may be one, the church. They may be one together, united just as you, Father, are in me and I am in you. But then, here we go. He says, may they also be in us. It's a unity among God the Father, Son, and His church. A unity. We all ought to be one. And there's a real purpose for it. It's so that the world may believe. So if we are disunited and we, and we cause disputes and, and quarrels over opinions, and we are fracturing the church for for preferences in people, then we are not one and the world will not believe that Jesus was sent. And he says that in verse 23, as I read, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them. Unity at stake is the glory of God and the representing of who God is in, in Christ. And so we don't want to misrepresent. That's the damage done by quarreling is robbing God of glory and misrepresenting who he is and what he desires for his body. Think about the body. Scripture tells us that Christ is the head of the body, one singular body. It is not a limb cut off and still considered to be a part and a functioning of this one glorious body, which is meant to glorify the head. But yet we seem to think that it's okay to stir up arguments over our preference, over our people, really over what the Bible calls opinions. And it says, do not quarrel over opinions. In the ESV, as I read, or in the NIV, he calls them disputable matters. Or the King James is doubtful disputations. 
Don't argue about things that are debatable, disputable. Which political leader to follow or not to follow? Which Bible translation to read or not to read? What your view is of the end times? Don't dispute over these things. Don't cause fractures in the church over these things. That's not an exhaustive list, but as we think through issues, as we read the Bible verse for verse for ourselves, uh, we develop opinions and convictions on these things. But when we have our opinions and convictions, they are okay and they are good. But we should take care to ask some questions like the following. Is this thing just a preference? Is it just because I like it this way? Is it just because that's the way it's always been or it's comfortable for me and that's why I believe this and that's the conviction I hold? Is it because this is the way my family taught me or I was raised? Is this because I believe this and I'm convicted in this opinion because of someone I respected told me? Another good question is, is there biblical warrant for this position I hold? And not just cherry-picking. You can make the Bible say whatever you want by cherry-picking one verse. But is there a biblical warrant? Is it through the, this theme, through the entirety of the Scripture? Is it found in the heart of Christ? Main question to ask when thinking about your opinion is, does it glorify God if I do it? Or, on the opposite end, does it defame Him if I don't? So, If you're able to answer that question, yes, it glorifies God if I do it, that's great. So then you think, okay, well, it glorifies God. I I ought to, you know, cause other people to glorify God in the same way. Well, ask the second part of that question is, does it defame him if I don't do it? Because there's many things that glorify God, but if you don't do it, it doesn't mean it defames him. And if it doesn't defame him, you have no right to try to fit someone else into your opinion. Don't do that. If it doesn't defame the glory of God... Sure, you might be glorifying God in it, but it doesn't mean someone else could. So that's a really important thing to ask. Or or to ask that another way is, will God be made little of if someone does this thing? Or if they abstain, if they hold back from this thing, does it show the world how marvelous God truly is? If that's the case, then yes, it is something worth fighting for. But we don't stir up arguments about things that we have the freedom to disagree upon. We don't allow secondary or tertiary opinions or convictions to put a wedge between us and a brother and sister in Christ. Of course, the goal is unity for the glory of God and the great representation of who God is and what the church as his bride is meant to be. But that doesn't require perfect unity surrounding matters of opinion. Although we are to be one and united, we have opinions that are differing. And even just like the gifts are different, right? We are not all the same. We are not all gifted the same way. In the same sense, we also have different opinions, different views, different worldviews, different... Even think, the way that you read the Bible is different than the person away in in, um, Afghanistan reads it. They have a different mindset. They have a different um, understanding of shame and honor culture. That all goes into the way we read the text. And so when you ask really probing questions, is, is this preference? Is this part of my culture? Is this based on someone that's told me? Those are the things. Like, for example, a real, a real problem with um, some early uh, 20th century missionaries was that they would go into the foreign lands and they would, they would pop up churches like, that look like American churches. 
The buildings looked like American churches. They wore suits and ties like American people. Among tribal people, they thought, they were convicted that this is what the church is. And this is what the Bible says the church is. It is a building with a white steeple and we wear full suits. That's what the church is. And we're convicted in that. So we're going we're gonna to make that happen in sub-Saharan Africa. That's not right. That is not right. That is a preference and a conviction that they are free to hold. But they are not free to mold other people into it. To, to try to get people to break out of who they are. And it's not going to glorify God anymore or less if you wear a suit on a Sunday. So there's a, a real problem in the matter of opinion. But we do have the right to opinion. We note the context of this very passage is whether they were free to disagree about eating foods that were once required by the law or or days that they thought would impact their Christianity. They had the freedom to disagree about what to abstain from. They had the freedom to agree and, and to disagree about what to embrace, obviously within the boundaries of Scripture what is and is not sin. They had the the freedom to say, I'm free to embrace this thing or that thing within the bounds of Scripture. Unity is not in opinions. Unity is in Christ, and it is about Christ. Doctrine and teaching is so important to guard. And there is matters that are of first importance, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15.3. He says, For I deliver to you as of first importance... And then he talks about Christ crucified, the gospel. That's it. He doesn't talk about the preference of uh, even, even things that even Paul says matter in the, in the Corinthians church. He doesn't talk about that there. He talks about the matter of first importance. The things that are, you are meant to die upon is Christ and him crucified. There is a way to determine the, the, the places that you are to stake your life upon. The things that you say, no, I cannot let this happen. I cannot let this pass. And it's not an opinion or a conviction. It is Christ. In his book, uh, Finding the Right Hills to Die On, Gavin Ortland helpfully says the following in helping to determine what he calls theological triage. Just like in a hospital, there's a triage that kind of determines the priority of things. There is theological triage. As we come to an argument or an opinion, we have to determine how important is this? How important is it? Is it a first-rank issue? Is it secondary? Is it tertiary? Gavin says this in his book. First-rank doctrines are essential for the gospel. Unquote. Just so saying there, he's saying, if you are wrong about this conviction or opinion, you're wrong about the gospel and you will go to hell. That is a first-rank doctrine. That you have to be set in stone about and uh, because Scripture is. But then, again, back into his quote, the second-rank doctrines are urgent for the church, but they're not essential to the gospel. And then he says the third tier consists of both doctrines that are important for the Christian, um, but they're not essential, and they're not necessarily urgent for the church, and they are indifferent. They are theologically unimportant. So the third-tier issues, they are um, not essential. They're, They're not necessarily urgent. And they are not necessarily theologically important. So things like the wall color, things like um, the instruments you use in a building, those are third-tier issues you ought to never uh, cause splits about. Second-tier issues are, are urgent, 
but they're not essential to the gospel. They're not going to determine if someone's saved or not. These are the kind of things, the second tier things, are what um, makes it allowable for you to worship in a different congregation than somebody else, Presbyterians and Baptists, uh, Reformed and uh, whoever else, right? Um, and so that's the second tier issues. They are um, urgent for the church. They're important, but they're not gospel issues per se. Paul says in Romans 16, verses 17 and 18, he says, I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. For such persons do not serve the Lord Christ, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. So there, you see the heart of their quarreling is they're serving themselves. They're serving their own appetites, their own preferences, what pleases them. But they're teaching what is contrary to doctrine, the teaching of the text. And they're causing divisions over it. They're they're making big things out of secondary or tertiary uh, items. And Paul says there in Romans 16, avoid such people who want to tear apart, who want to minimize, who want to rewrite the gospel of Jesus. Because remember, the gospel is about what Christ has accomplished. So then if you start getting in arguments about things that you do or do not do that are within the bounds of Christian freedom, well, you're really minimizing the gospel, saying, well, yeah, it's Jesus plus you have to be right on this issue. You got to be right on the Bible translation, and you got to be right on dress code, and you got right. That is beginning to minimize the gospel and take away from the gospel. Don't cause divisions over these things. He says, avoid them, disfellowship them, don't allow them in your place. They will divide on things that there is uh, a flexibility of opinion over, and they will also begin to divide. He says on even matters of doctrine. If they divide on matters of doctrine, he says, avoid them. Things like the virgin birth, the atonement, the resurrection, faith by uh, grace alone. Those are the things, he says, that if they, people are dividing you over this or splitting you over this, avoid them. Get them out of your presence as quick as you can because they are like a disease that will spread. So then what about our verse here in Romans 12 where it says, you know, we're supposed to welcome people with differing opinions. Doesn't it say we're not to quarrel with them? Well, no. These people are the ones serving themselves and fracturing the heart of Christ and his body. And so to them we say, you're not welcome for this time. You are welcome to have an opinion and a conviction. But when you start splitting uh, things and you start dividing people over true doctrine of the church, you're not welcome. We don't engage them. We don't provoke them. We avoid them, Romans 16 says. But to the brother or sister in Christ who genuinely loves him, who desires to serve him, who seeks his glory above all things, but yet is convicted differently than you. They are are convicted in such a way that you think, that is not me, and I would never practice that. But they are convicted and they are obeying their convictions for God's honor. Don't argue with them. Don't discourage them. Don't for the sake of your flesh, your desires, your preference, your selfishness, do not, do not for the sake of the satisfaction of winning an argument. Don't for the feeling of getting your own way, don't let your own opinion cause a fight. 
with brothers or sisters in Christ. Don't cause a fight. Don't cause a fracture. Don't cause some sort of uh, disabling thing within the body of Christ because of your opinion. This is admittedly hard because we have our opinion because we do. And it may be strong. And you have your opinion because you think it's the right one. You're not going to embrace an opinion you think is wrong and then you're going to take that to the, to the army. No way. It's hard. Because also, we're still sinners. We're still sinners struggling in many ways. But that very fact that we're still sinners should keep us humble. It should keep us humble and it should keep us gracious. And as we think about others who hold differing opinions than us, grace upon grace. Our first priority when approaching those who differ from us should be grace, mercy, glory of God. Are they glorifying God? Yes. Are you glorifying God in a different way? Yes. Is what they're doing defaming God? No. Then let them be. Let them be. Let them have their opinion for a time. It doesn't mean that one day they'll never mature or grow up. Because even example, right, in Romans 14, those who were still abstaining from the food, he, he describes a little bit immature in their faith. But there was room for them to grow. They weren't squashed in their faith. They, they weren't pressed down by those who were, had a different opinion. So let us not be those people then who are judgmental towards others when it comes to convictions of secondary things. If it, if it does not defame Christ, just be gracious and be merciful, recognizing that you too have opinions that they see as, well, I don't see how that glorifies Christ, but I also don't see how it defames him, so I'm just going to leave them alone. That's how we have to exist sometimes with our differing opinions because we are free to those opinions, obviously, again, within the bounds of the text. And if it doesn't uh, misrepresent Jesus, misrepresent his body, or rob him from glory. And so we don't do it. We don't fight. In order to preserve the name of Christ and his glory among the nations, we do not quarrel over opinions. Let's pray. Well, Father, you are one. Father, Spirit, Son, one in perfect unity, with one will, with one heart, with one mind, one goal and one glory. Now, God, we ask for your forgiveness when we have fractured that. When we, for the sake of our opinions, our convictions, have been judgmental towards other people, even if we never communicate it, our hearts are judging people. Oh, God, forgive us for dishonoring you in our hearts. It's devastating to think that we might dishonor you for the sake of a person who's not dishonoring you. God, help us. Help us to be clear on that. Help us to be clear on what matters most, that is of first importance, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, him crucified, resurrected for sinners. God, thank you for the gospel. Help us to um, display it better and so that the world may know, Jesus said, so that the world may know that he came and he loves them. God, let us be united for that sake, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.